What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Marty Smith's America Podcast, Volume 2. We appreciate so much the amazing response to our first episode with country music star Jason Aldean. It means so much to me to get to spend time with folks like Jason and today's guest, Jalen Rose, to learn about their lives and personal stories, passions, and why they're passionate about them. Now, about this episode with Jalen Rose, we learn a lot about growing up in Detroit and how now he's giving so much back to the city that made him. We discuss leading Michigan's fabled Fab Five and how now he's trying so hard to reconcile with former teammate Chris Weber. We'll hear a hilarious tale about embarrassing dads from our guy Kevin from Missouri. Trust me, you'll relate. But first, it's the Marty Party with one of my best friends in the company, Sports Center anchor Matt Barry. What are we going to do, bud? We're going to drink one of these beers. Hand me one of them damn beers real quick. What's up, man? Marty Party. Everybody welcome my boy Matty Ice, Sports Center anchor Matt Barry, to the Marty Smith's America podcast. And just so you guys know, we love the Marty Party. All right? Marty Party's been all over the world, and the originator of the Marty Party is none other than Matty Ice. I need for you first to tell America how in the world you decided to Come up with part. What? What? Is, what's your line? The man, the party, <laughs> the Marty party, the Marty party. <laughs> All right, so Marty, here's what happened. We, when we took sports down on the road, uh, you, me, our producer extraordinary Jonathan Wiley, back in 2015 is when we really started that thing going. Uh, we would say, and I would say, when we were on location, I would call Sports Center on the road the greatest party in sports because we'd be out there at a college campus acting like idiots for 2 hours on sports center and have We were a... pretty good at that too, man. Yeah. And we had a great time doing it, right? Well, there was one week where we had we had gone on the road, I think 3 consecutive weeks. It was following when you and I were at the Grove for Ole Miss Alabama, which was tremendous. Which is fantastic. <laughs> That's right. I think it's the, the the side of the infamous you're a true fine southern gentleman. <laughs> yes, and your sir. response deadpan, indeed we are, Maddie. And I, I think, uh, I think I might have had some Jack Daniels in a cup with like a bacon strip in it at yeah, that point. Yeah, they do love them some hotty toddy, good gosh almighty. <laughs> so I get back and it was the following Saturday and I'm in studio and I'm taping the top of the show where we have this thing where all the reporters, their, their heads are in a, in a, in a gra- or in a, in a screen and it's and called a bobblehead, a bobblehead, if you will. And I, I announced Kaylee Hartung at the time was somewhere. Uh, Janine Edwards was somewhere, and we weren't on the road that week, the entire show, and I said, so this week he's by himself. We sent the man, the party, the Marty party to Destination X because I like alliteration and I like rhyming, and little did I know that that little sentence was going to start what is now the Marty party. Oh, a few weeks later. So a few weeks after that, this is when we knew it was really a thing. A few weeks later, Matty Ice and I were doing a live shot in front of one of the sorority houses at the University of Alabama. Roll Tide. Roll Tide Roll. Dude, there were young, there were young sorority ladies with signs. There were young sorority ladies wearing t-shirts with Marty Party across the front. We'll call it the front. And that's when we kind of looked at each other and we're like, wow. And mind you, this wasn't. You know, a live shot at, at three in the afternoon in Tuscaloosa. This was first thing out of the gate in the morning. This was eight, eight o'clock. And eight. then, and then from there, we, there were the signs, there were the shirts. And then you and I ended up at Clemson, Louisville. Yes, sir. And we're having a tailgate off. And then they're putting 
your face on signs with Marty parties. And I'm like, what the hell have we just done? They've created a trophy at yeah. this point. So this is year three of that tailgate battle yeah. between the Louisville folks and the Clemson folks. And they created a chalice with my face on it, which and, is a very scary prospect from which to swill. And we had the belt one year, didn't we? We had a belt. Yeah, they, there's a belt every year, I think. I think they have a belt that every single year they make a new belt, and the winner wins the belt. I believe that what we've done for the Mason-Dixon line and below is is one of the great sports culture phenomenons in the last five years. We're just getting started, Jack. Yeah. So on today's show, uh, on, on, on the Marty Smith's America podcast today, uh, I spend a solid – probably 30, 35 minutes with Jalen Rose, our colleague at ESPN. He and Mike Greenberg and Michelle Beadle are, are, are starting a new show uh, called Get Up. And I've long admired Jalen because he's never afraid to say what he thinks. And uh, I've, I've said to him in the interview that, hey, man, I'm a white dude from a farm. And my buddies and I wore black socks in high school basketball because of the Fab Five. So that tells you all you need to know about their resonance, all right? So I wonder what, you know, Maddie. for those of you who don't know, Matt grew up in Phoenix, So and he's younger than me. Yeah. You're what? You're 38? 39. Okay, Maddie's 39. Ooh, we're coming up on that big 4-0. December 20th. Where are we going to party, man? The Vegas. The Vegas. Yeah, book it. I have a 40-hour limit. I'll come. I'll come for 40 hours, all right? Done. I can't I can't do more than 40 hours well, in Vegas, perfect, man. That's the I'm limit. I'm 40, and if I do more than 40 hours, then I'll be done. My liver will quit. It'll, it'll wake up. Strike. It'll wake up next to you smoking a cigarette <laughs> in your bed. <laughs> so, what was what? How was the Fab Five received in Phoenix by Little Maddie? In uh, let's see, I was in eleventh grade, I think. So you were in ninth grade. or Yeah, wait. So? Give me the year again. What was the year Fab Five? 92? 92, 93, Yeah. Yep. So I was seventh, eighth grade, and, and you kind of kind of used the line that that all. All of us would use. I was a white kid in Scottsdale, Arizona. Yeah. Right? Playing in the, in the summer basketball leagues. And all that I know that I wanted were the baggy shorts. When we went to practice that day at Mojave Middle School in South Carolina during that time, or in, in Arizona during that time, we all wanted the baggy shorts. And, and they, you know, cause commonplace Marty was still the, the high and tight shorts. We didn't want that anymore because of the Fab Five. And people, and we talk about it all the time on Sports Center, and we and we detail it in great in great fashion about the one and done era and the freshmen of the culture. That didn't start in 2015 or 2013. That started with Jalen, Chris Weber, and that whole Fab Five culture. They made it cool. It was transcendent what they did to college basketball. And the reason it was so, because they did two things that I believe make a sports phenomenon legitimate. It elicits two types of emotions. It elicits, one, people that love it, and two, people that hate it. You get both, you've got something. Yeah, and you pay attention to it. And what it is, is there's one word, polarizing. Yep. If you are polarizing, then people are going to pay attention to your point, whether they love you or they hate you. And the old heads hated them, and the young kids like you and me loved them. The black it didn't matter. Sock. didn't matter if you were white, black. It didn't matter what you were. And and that's it. I mean, and you just you, wanted to be a part of it, right? And you look at some of the great athletes and movements and and things in sports over time. When you grab both audiences and race doesn't matter, 
all that matters is a sports fan that you're buying into this wholeheartedly. That was the Fab Five. And there's two indelible images for me with this group. It was the one where they all had their arms around their shoulders and they were wearing those Michigan uniforms and the baggy shorts and they're all there together. And like, these guys are cool. And then unfortunately, it's the Chris Webber timeout. Yep. Mine, it's, it's those two. There's another one for me and that's the Chris Webber zipper lip. Remember when he, remember when he like zipped his lip? Yep. I just, that, that was so telling to me. Like, I'm kicking your ass and I don't even have to say anything about it. And like, you, I don't have to say a word to you. And because of YouTube, we can go back and watch those, but I would implore anyone listening to this podcast or that's a sports fan, go look. I mean, you think some of these guys right now, these Marvin Bagley's and these Mo Bamba's and these DeAndre Ayton's, those guys are some dudes. But if you want to see what men looks like as freshmen, go watch Weber and Jalen and Jawan Howard. Go watch those guys as freshmen. I can't wait for you guys to hear Jalen detail living it because he said something in the interview to me that I really hadn't considered until he said it. That is, some of the things that they did today are almost not even noticed because they did them, but in 1992, they were so polarizing that these young, bald, African-American, irreverent young men did were so polarizing. And I love to hear him detail it. And, Maddie, before we get out of here, yeah. I have to admit one thing. I wore, to my senior prom, Michigan baggy basketball shorts. That's true. And you had a date? Did you have a date? I had a date, and she wore a yellow tutu. We don't need to get into the why, but there's now in the Giles County, Virginia school system handbook mm-hmm. a Marty Smith rule. Jay, look at you changing culture. <laughs> so wait a second. Let me get this straight. Before, like, there's a photograph there's of a photograph. you in Michigan shorts and a and a and a, a, tux a, top. a and a young and a tux top. So you're going the suit mullet, suit mullet. Yeah, business, business on the top, front, party yeah. on the bottom. And there's a young lady with a yellow tutu. That's affirmative. And this is affirmative. That is affirmative. There is documentation thereof that uh, nobody really ever has to see. Nobody really needs to see that. God bless Virginia. All right, listen, this is uh, – uh, Matty, thank you for hanging out, brother. Anytime. I love you. We're going to do it a lot, so get used to it. Yes, sir. And, ladies and gentlemen, here is my interview with ESPN's Jalen Rose. I hope you enjoy it. Really thrilled to have my man Jalen Rose join us on the Marty Smith's America podcast. Uh, now, I'm a voracious student, Jalen. I like to find areas – that are unreported or underreported about the subjects I cover. And, man, with you, brother, that ain't easy. you like a YouTube sensation, man. There's more There's more Jalen Rose on YouTube than there is Katy Perry and the Kardashians combined, I think, man. I'm like you, 24-7, 365, <laughs> coast to coast, internationally. And I appreciate you having me on. I'm a huge fan of your work. Let's just start with your path to television because while studying – it, it, for this interview, it seemed to me like you kind of had that in your mind. I know you studied communications at UM and began to prepare yourself for this career long ago. How, how long ago was that? I did, and this was before multiple channels were outlets for sports. This was before social media, and this was before YouTube. I uh, was a member of the Chicago Bulls, got traded there, I think, in 2002. It was February, Marty, and we had nine wins. And I was oh, like, oh, rough. not going to the playoffs this year. <laughs> and so 
I reached out to a contact that I had at BET Match Sports because I was just uh, did an interview on a show they had called The Basement, a, a, a hip-hop show. And uh, I pitched them the idea that I could cover the NBA Finals for them. It was Nets and Lakers, kind of like you do right now with ESPN, literally. Send the camera and let, let me do my thing. They played it on TV, and then I pitched the same idea to the best damn sports show, period. Basically used me as a correspondent. So while I was playing in the league and a 20-point score, I was literally still working in the media in the offseason for Best Damn Sports Show, ESPN Cold Pizza, TNT Sideline, Top Rank Boxing, then NFL Network came, MTV Movie Awards, and all of these opportunities kept coming. And so in 2007, when I decided to retire, that's when I full-time, that's when I started to work for ESPN full-time. You mentioned retirement. I'm going to jump ahead then. I had this later in my in my thought process, but what is, what is 2007? What is the moment like when all you've done since you were a child was aspire to play basketball, was a, what was your identity is athlete, and then suddenly it's not? What is that moment like? For me, though, you want to make sure that your sport or your profession is what you do, not who you are. When you're famous for doing it, people make that who you are. To your point, as an athlete, it's unique, though, because when you playing in the league the last couple of years, most people can't designate when it ends. So Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, they get a chance to call their shot at the end. Peyton Manning, okay, I'm going to walk off and be a champion. The rest of us usually don't. And so I'm going to tell you, it takes place before that final year. It starts to take place when you're getting more tickets to games than you're playing minutes. So it's like, okay, huh, I bought 20 <laughs> tickets, but I only played 12 minutes. That don't add up. And so the last couple of years becomes almost your emotional farewell tour in your head. So I, playing my last year in Phoenix, felt like it was my final year, but I didn't necessarily share it with the world or do an announcement or or anything like that. I didn't feel like I was good enough for any farewell tours or anything. So in my own mind, I felt I was doing everything for the last time. And it was almost a celebration because I was leaving one profession that I loved and joining another opportunity working in the media that I was passionate about. Well, then you're a rarity because I would presume that very rarely is the emotion joy. Very rarely is the emotion solace. It's usually, oh, my God, what now? Yes, it is, and it always is. Uh, for example, recently we see Glenn Big Baby Davis, you know, arrested for allegedly, you know, running a drug operation out of a hotel. And then I see the news of Steve Francis, you know, some issues that he got into recently. And so this is why you want to be – you want to win as many championships as Bill Russell. You want to be as esteemed and responsible and respected as a LeBron James. But those, there are reasons why those guys are all-time great. And so you just hope the life skills and the things that you're able to nurture along the way and the relationships you're able to garner become stuff that can drive you for the rest of your life and put you in a position to be successful, not just based on what you accomplish as a player. What's it like to navigate the professional athletics waters when 10 minutes ago you didn't have a pot to piss in? You go from amateur athletics 
and then you shake David Stern's hand and you put your name on a piece of paper and you're made. How do you navigate that? It's almost like having the winning lottery ticket, but you can't cash it yet. And so you're a high school McDonald's All-American. You feel like you're on the track to be an NBA player because a high percentage of players that make it in that game go on and play in the league. But there's no guarantee. There's still steps that need to be taken. You still need to stay eligible in high school. And that's one of the things that I like about sports that's different than entertainment is that it puts you on the path to education because you you clearly need to be eligible. And so along that journey in high school, it was was enthusiastic. You know, high school kid, played on the story program, won a couple of state championships, city championships, national championships. And so once I got to the University of Michigan and so fortunate enough to uh, be a member of the Fab Five and, and all the things that we accomplished, once we made the national title game in March, April of 92, and then I look up a few weeks later and we're playing against pros in Europe because we were one of the first teams to take one of those international trips. And we were tired after a long season and I saw the stands were full and our accommodations weren't the best, I felt violated. It's like you put so much into trying to be the best athlete you can, but yet you're a collegiate student, and you clearly see that everybody's profiting, the university, the NCAA, the shoe companies, you know, off of watching you play basketball and or your likeness. So that was a frustrating period and something that – um. What was an instant reality check, though, clearly I wouldn't change anything about my college experience. It was one of the better times of my life. But once you get on that stage and you're able to shake David Stern's hand, it's different for everyone. But for me, it changes the dynamics of my family. We weren't a suburban family. If you're fortunate enough to where you're, you make it to the league or whatever profession and you and your parents are already stable in their community and you don't necessarily have to, you know, make a, a, a huge fiscal investment into, you know, changing the dynamics of their life or the dynamics of your entire family. You probably can't relate, but when you have the ability to, it's just such a phenomenal life-changing feeling that, you know, I'll appreciate forever. How did it change your family's life? Uh, it's easy to just go, okay, we got money now, but there's so many well, more layers to it than that. There's a lot more layers to that moment than money. Absolutely, because there's there's a fiscal knowledge and responsibility that comes with it. Because when you see the numbers on paper, people automatically assume that you have 100% of those dollars currently in your pocket. Right. So when you see somebody sign a contract, it's like, oh, Marty Smith got a $10 million deal. You're like, wait a minute, hit the brake. He wishes. I got to pay Uncle Sam and all of that 40%. I got to pay my agent 10%. You know, insurances, we have a light. Uh, life, dental, health, every home, every car needs to be insured, every step that you take. And so it's necess- not necessarily all that the headline makes it out to be, though it is amazing, life-changing money. So I think that's the biggest, I guess, adjustment is that understanding that you can make some bad decisions and this money does not have to last forever. We've seen so many horror stories. And so I was not going to put myself in a position to be one of those guys, regardless of my, my track. 
in professional how, sports. How hard was it to trust people? Oh, it's extremely hard to trust people because everyone has an agenda, and that's almost how life works. And I always talk about people coming into your life for four reasons, to add, subtract, multiply, or divide. And it's important for us to choose wisely. But we're not making our most sound decisions initially when you get the money because you're so young. I was 21 at the time. Where do you stand on NCAA player compensation? I think that there has to be a way where players get some level of stipend. It doesn't have to be an astronomical figure. What about you know $10,000 a semester? Something that young people can function on campus and still be and still feel like their sacrifice is appreciated, especially for an athlete where you're not allowed to make money off your likeness. You're not allowed to work while you're under scholarship. There's so many restraints that come with being um, a student athlete that uh, that stipend would be really, I think, a game-changing thing. And also, if the goal was to get young people to graduate, why don't you create an incentive for them to graduate? Exactly hey, right. we're going to have some level of trust fund available for you if you graduate for all the money you've helped generate for the university and for the NCAA. Ultimately, until that model is shifted to where players are able to benefit fiscally beyond their scholarship, the model is going to be one that gets challenged and uh, one that definitely is going to need to get fixed. Fab Five, the most famous starting lineup in college basketball history? Well, I'm living it. I'll say this. Not many people walking the face of the earth were named Jalen before the early 90s. Got kids named after you, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's love. And, if, and, just, and, and names are a, a strong indicator because if people hate you, they'll never name their kid after you. So that's, that's, that's the ultimate honor. It almost wasn't called the Fab Five. What was it almost called? A terrible nickname that I'm glad didn't stick five times. It's, it's a perfect example of why you can't give yourself a nickname. I think we were <laughs> in, in a dorm room one time, and we were trying to give ourselves a name because we were determined that we didn't want to be the Fab Five. I'm a huge rap fan, as all of us were, and I love Fab Five Freddy. I'm like, there is a Fab Five. He's Fab Five Freddy. There he is right there. That's what I got. We can't take his name, and then the Beatles had that name. That name has been done. But then uh, I had somebody really close to me say, Michael Jackson wasn't the first person to moonwalk. He just perfected it in native things. Like, okay, cool. Makes sense. Let's Who go. named it the Fab Five? The media. The Not media us. did. Always yeah. blame it on the media, right? That's exactly what happened. We wanted to be called five times. The media, they won out. And rightfully so, because, again, five times is a terrible nickname. What should be the most impactful lesson that we learned from you five gentlemen? Endurance, because... As you look back at it now, people appreciate what we brought to the table, but we weren't adored by the national media or we weren't liked by what was considered at the time, you know, a, a mainstream audience. We were frowned upon based on being outspoken, being brash, um, our style, how we looked, longer shorts, black shoes, black socks really opinionated about more things than just sports. It was the shut-up-and-dribble mentality. And so when you are game-changers in that regard, either people are going to appreciate you and like you or you're going to get a lot of, you know, opposition from so many people, um, you know, in the media and, and across. 
there were uh, people that were covering the game. So that's one of the lessons. The other was is togetherness and sacrifice. It was at a time where players, if they were picking schools, they were trying to pick a school where they could be the best player, go put up some numbers, and make it to the league. For us to say, you know, we're going to sign on the dotted line and we're going to supplement our egos and we're going to sacrifice for one another and actually try to do something special outside of just ourselves, that was something that I think kind of gets overlooked. And lastly, that we played together. We were all for one, one for all. Nobody was bigger than the group. And uh, I think that special bond is why people gravitated towards us which is why we were fortunate enough to have a couple of signature shoes like the Hirachi and then the, mm-hmm. then the current brand Jordan that they did a special release for. And then obviously, you know, the success that we had with our own documentary that was done by ESPN. It seemed like an us-against-the-world brotherhood. Describe that brotherhood now. We don't have the level of camaraderie that we used to have as college kids. I guess that we're not seeing each other every day. And it's been widely discussed that, you know, Chris isn't necessarily seeing eye-to-eye with the rest of the group. It just so happened that I'm on television and on radio and have a couple of outlets to express myself, whereas like a a Ray Jackson or a Jimmy King probably don't. And Juwan's doing a terrific job coaching with the Miami Heat. So we're in the process now of trying to, as a foursome, reel our brother C-Webb back into the family. Take us through the why. Why is there a four-in-one equation right now? Well, I think you would truly have to ask him that question because I don't. we've um, scratched our heads trying to figure out the answer for, for a lot of years, and I can't give you what's considered a direct answer, but I know that if I send out a text right now to all five individuals that four of us are communicating with each other and we just have to figure out a way to uh, reel him back in when Michigan's playing – at the Final Four and losing to uh, Louisville, four of us are sitting together. When you watch the Fab Five documentary, four of us are currently in it. So, uh, again, hopefully that's something that we can fix because we've accomplished so much together. And my relationship with him goes back before college for those that don't know. Like, we, we play AAU as 13-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 17, 19-year-olds. So uh, it goes way back before college. How long does the does the separation go back? I would say officially, it seems like around 2011 officially, but the sad part is, as I give you that date, the only time we've been in the same place at the same time together was our junior year, a game against Indiana when he came back during his rookie year in the league. We were together one other time in the same building when Louisville played Michigan in the NCAA tournament, but it was four of us, and then he was in the suite. And so, like, those are the times, really, that we've all been in the same place at the same time over that period of uh, 20, 25 years. Tell me something about Jalen Rose, Jimmy King, Ray Jackson, Chris Weber, and Juwan Howard that we don't know. What there has to be something you got stashed away in the back pocket that we haven't heard. I guess I'll just try to give you something from each guy. That sounds perfect. Okay. Um, as far as C. Webb, he felt like he was like the sexual chocolate. He was like the uh, <laughs> Big Daddy Kane of the of the of the group, the smooth operator. Um, 
what is hot top fade. Um, Jawan Howard, you've never to this day seen him without a haircut, professional as it gets. Like, I think we're the same age, but I always felt like he was five years old. Ray was clearly the best athlete. Like, Ray was faster than all of us. He uh, ran track in high school. And the funny thing is I felt like he sacrificed the most. For those that don't know, he never got a chance to play an NBA game. Jimmy, Sky King, we called him, he could jump. was the guy that uh, could jump from all angles, basically take off from the free throw line. He was like a, 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 a terrific athlete. And both of those guys came from Texas, so they weren't used to the cold weather. They weren't used to the middle of winter and having to dress as such and wearing a coat, wearing a skull cap and all of that. So I have so many memories of those guys walking outside with, like, jogging suits on in the middle of November. I'm like, no, you can't dress like that in the Midwest. You're not going to last long. What were some so, of the sacrifices Ray Jackson made? Some of the sacrifices he made was, number one, if you – ask about the team right now, a lot of times if people was going to name the squad, sometimes he gets left out. That's the biggest sacrifice right there. And, again, I'm going to stress that he was the only one that never played in the NBA. And so that that's what I mean when you go back to the history of the Fab Five. If the Masters could have kept us all out of the NBA, they would have. And so I felt because of his role in the Fab Five, and people felt like they could keep him out. They did keep him out. There's no way he shouldn't have got an opportunity to play in the NBA. No way at all. Why do you feel like they wanted to keep you guys out of the NBA? Because of the things we talked about earlier. The it, it, it's, I'm not going to put it on the same playing field of what we're seeing with Colin Kaepernick um, and, and Reed right now, but in that vein of – a lot of times if people feel like your value to the team isn't worth um, what you do beyond the floor or your political beliefs or your personality, if they feel like one outweighs the other and they can keep you out, they will. We just saw with LeBron. You know, we just saw uh, there being some national media members basically telling him to shut up and dribble. It's uh... Absolutely. And, 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 again, we're talking about this in 2018. This was 1992. Right. I remember when media members were walking our locker room when we were playing uh, NWA or we were playing Tupac's music and all of these artists, they were looking at us like, what is happening right now? Now it's playing in the arenas. It wasn't always like that for you youngsters out there. The most we would probably get in the arena was whoop, there it is. I don't mean, I don't mean to laugh. I don't mean to laugh, but that's <laughs> kind of funny. That's kind of funny, Jalen. <laughs> Uh, right now, now music is playing Marty during the play. You could be yeah. dribbling up in an NBA arena during the play, and you could be hearing the Migos. Yeah, it, it really has evolved so much. I mean, isn't it funny? To me? It's it, it's almost laughable now. It is laughable that black socks were controversial. <laughs> like black socks. How about that? Like black socks. And, and, it and socks. You want to talk about controversy? How about if we were um, sharing in those profits? That That's became right. an industry. We went to the mall. They didn't have five pairs. I wore a pair of dress socks over my white socks the first time. They didn't even have five pairs. I am a white dude from a farm. My buddies and me, <laughs> when I was a senior in high school, I think you're a couple years older than me. I graduated high school in 94. All right? So my buddies and me wore black socks. We're like, we're rednecks, dude. But so it was everywhere. Like it was everywhere. It went to the furthest reaches of, of American culture. 
So it, uh, I just, it's fascinating to me that that was so controversial. It's crazy. Correct. But again, that goes back to what we were discussing. Like, if somebody wants to create a controversy for you, they can. But you didn't hear anybody having a controversy saying, hey, shouldn't those, um, how, how about y'all turn that, uh, that Black Sox thing into an entrepreneurial spirit and actually profit off of that? Why don't y'all license that? Who's a trademark that? Who talked more <laughs> mess? Gary Payton or your boy Reggie Miller? Oh, oh wow. That's a great one. Um, both in different ways. Reggie was more strategic basketball, you know, competitive. Um, we'll get, we'll get upset, but won't, won't, uh, there's just certain things that he, just certain lines that he would not cross. Though he would go as close to the line as you would want somebody to. I love, <laughs> like a big brother to me. Played with him for six years. But Gary Payton's is a little different. He was angry, hostile, volatile, mean. He'd be saying things that you hear in a rap song or you hear in the in the alley at um at one in the morning. Who so, talked the most trash was, you ever played against? Him? Yeah, it had to be Gary Payton. I love the glove. That was my dude. MJ or Kobe? You guarded both. Oh, no question, MJ. You know, while Kobe's uh, an all time great and he's a part of my he killed my Raptors team and put up eighty one on us. There, there's no, there's, there, there's no diss to Kobe Bryant when you're not as good as Michael Jordan. I think Kobe Bryant is in the top what six or seven of all time performers, but Michael Jordan still has the mantle as number one. Man, he, everybody our age, uh, you and I are from the same sort of generation, and everybody our age idolized him. Whether you loved, you might have loved the Pistons growing up in in inner city Detroit. You might have been a Pistons guy, but my God, you could not take your eyes off that man. He rev, like, he revolutionized sport in so many different ways. Forget about the marketing aspect and the shoe contracts and all that. Just sheer will, just sheer dogged determination. He would not be denied. It was fascinating to watch. He and Hakeem Olajuwon, the only two guys I've ever been on a court with, I felt like they were the both best player on both ends at all times. Hmm. That that's the thing that also gets lost with him is that he would lock down on defense and play multiple positions. Plus, he was clutch, and he was the best player out there. And so that's yeah, that was a problem. And and the most athletic, and he was strong for his position. And he, and he was and he was mentally tough. So th- these are the things that go into creating somebody that was an all-time GOAT. And that's coming from a, a lifelong Pistons fan who just felt like I was on the floor with them when we walked off after we finally lost to the Bulls and didn't shake their hands. You can't tell me I wasn't on the team. I, I was. That's one of my favorite sports moments of all time. And so for me to say that just shows you that he truly is the GOAT. It's funny. I've, I've interviewed a bunch of golfers in the last year. And one thing that always cracks me up is when you're speaking with younger generation golfers who have played a round with Tiger, they said it took them half the round, nine or ten holes, to stop watching Tiger. Like, dude, tighten up. Play your game. Stop watching him play. What? How much did you experience that when you stepped on the floor with Jordan the first time? Was was that even the case? Well, did you watch him play for me a because. Like playing against MJ, I was like, "This is great!" Like, no, nah, this is my proven ground to test what I've been working for, what I've been working at this entire time. Like, oh, is this hesitation move gonna work, or you know, is this post up move gonna be effective? That type of thing. I was, 
and everybody's different in this regard. Like, I was never one of the, like, starstruck kind of people who, like, really wanted to get a lot of people's autographs and, and stuff like that. So when I played against it, it was just, like, an opportunity to try to go out there and do my thing. That's, that's really how I, I approached it. I love it. I have uh, intel inside the building that uh, you have a tremendous story about swiping Patrick Ewing's TV. I need to hear this. <laughs> well, the Knicks and the Pacers were a rivalry for obvious reasons to the point where the tabloids and NY would call them the Knicks, clearly, and us the Hicks, representing Indiana. And so, you know, you play against the team in the regular season, you play against them in the playoffs, you create a rivalry. And by the way, that both is Larry Johnson four-point play that nowadays wouldn't exist because it's called a foul on the floor, at least I hope. So, the only, uh, playing against them, you know, we both travel after the game. I get tangled up with Patrick Ewing, who doesn't? And so, we walk through the airport, the private hangar, and I'm like, wait a minute. I see a little, a blue chest. With silver on it, I see a little sticker that says Patrick Ewing. So I pop it open, seeing there's a TV attached to a VCR. And it wouldn't, it didn't mean much. I was like, you know what? I'm going to call my homeboy Riz, who just dropped me off, who's my, my longtime friend from Detroit. We down like four flat tires. We're about to take this TV. <laughs> so he comes back. He opens the trunk. I put the TV in the trunk. And I have it at my, I had it at my house forever. And the funny thing is, when they got to the next city, of all people, Jeff Van Gundy was an assistant coach of that team, and it was his job to make sure Patrick and the other players got their TV so they could do their, their film study. And so they didn't have their TV. So Jeff always uh, reminded me of that every time he sees <laughs> What's that? Have you ever talked to Patrick about it? Yeah, he tried to put me in the headlock. I was working college game day <laughs> in Washington. I was trying to run from him, but he called me. All right, a couple more things. I, I know we got to get you out of here, but – I want to close with the example that you, you feel you're setting for the inner city kids of Detroit. What responsibility do guys who, who make it have to give back to the community? I think it's a big responsibility because whether you know it or not, your success isn't only about you. And it's, it's only right that not only that you inspire, but you motivate and you give back in the way that you can, especially about something that you're passionate about and or something you're knowledgeable about. And for me, it was the be- education was the best way. So I founded the Jalen Rose Leadership Academy. It's, tu- it's a tuition-free public charter high school that I founded in 2011. And we not only focus on young people graduating from high school, but we also give them the college success support they need to also graduate from college. So this time next year, we'll be operating at our full capacity around 400 in high school and approximately three to 400 in college. And we both know that you don't get as far these days with a high school diploma, the kind of job, the kind of career, the kind of salary you could command as you would for nowadays having a college degree. So just trying to put young people on the path to be successful in the classroom, but also life skills, social skills, etiquette, problem solving, decision making, all of those things that young people encounter because they're exposed to so many things at a younger age than we ever were by just pressing www or going on social media they can lose their innocence so early so just trying to put them in an environment where they can chase their goals and their dreams and uh give back to their community hopefully one day what have you done in your life that's more important than that remove fatherhood okay i know you're dad we know how important that is 
What have you done in your life? Well, to be honest, there's nothing more important. So much so, I remember when we were uh, thinking of names for the school, I gave them a list of 25 people. I'm like, Martin Luther King and a lot of different great people, notable people that I idolize. They're like, no, we want you to name it after you because if you do that, you're going to own it. So I felt like that was a that, that was an amazing tribute to have my name on the school that I founded, which for me was two different things. And uh, I'm really proud of the work that we've done and we continue to do. What was that day like in 2015 when that inaugural class accepted those di- diplomas? I said a, I said a couple of tears. I can't lie. The founder of the school had to get some tissue and wipe off a couple of tears because <laughs> just to influence young people, meet them seventh and eighth grade, all of a sudden get them in ninth grade where they don't know if they want to be smart or cool or if they don't uh, understand that their future can be so bright and you have that apprehension about school or you have that enthusiasm enthusiasm about school. And so that's why we focus on growth because 90% of the young people that we get at ninth grade either aren't doing math or reading at that level. So it's really important to give them that enrichment that they need. And so we operate basically 11 months. We call it July summer session. So if you pass all of your classes, then we get you a college experience or an internship. If you fail your classes, then you go to summer school. So really, uh, we have an 11-month model because I never was a fan of the idea that students get out of school in June, except when I was in school, by the way, that students get out of school in June and don't go back until September, but are charged with competing in the global economy. It just doesn't add up. You're a really unique study in leadership, too. I mean, anybody that knows Jalen's story knows. Like, I, mean, I can't imagine what. How does it impact you to know who your father is, but not know your father? I mean, I imagine. Well, when I was young, to uh, and it's sad to say, but you don't. You never. Sometimes you don't miss what you never had. Right. So there were days, weeks, months, years that I didn't think about it, and it until I got reminded of it. So I had a basketball card, and when I started to get older, then the, the people that saw him play, and he was a Detroit Piston, and knew him, obviously would remind me of it. So I just use it as motivation. So in high school, out of spite, being immature at the time, but I did use it as motivation. His number was 24. So in high school, I wore number 42. And I said to myself, he was going to know my name one day. And and I, I used that badge of honor to carry me through high school. And uh, I changed it once I got to college. But uh, I did feel that, that level of motivation from not knowing him. But also I felt that sense of, pride that maybe I had something special in me that pushed me on days when I didn't really uh, probably would have gotten fatigued or wanted to quit because, as we all know, it's it's, it's extremely tough to become a professional athlete. Well, you most certainly are inspirational. You most certainly have taken that and uh, become such a light, and it's appreciated. And I'll tell you guys, I studied and studied and studied for this. And one thing – that Jalen and I have in common is the absolute unmitigated addiction to making sure we have clean sneakers. All right. I had, I had my first pair of Jordans ever were J5s. And if y'all remember, the original J5s had those clear bottoms on them. They had like the clear rubber. And if you wore them outside, they got soiled really badly. They turned brown. Jalen, I would carry my J's to school and then put them on. No doubt. That's how we do it. That, and, and people listening to this podcast and think we're weird or we 
you're crazy. No, you just got to keep your kicks crisp. Oh, I used to I'm... walk around, keep me a little bar of soap, keep me a little toothbrush. Somebody step on the back, <laughs> I duck off into the bathroom and wipe them off. Always got to keep the shoes fresh. Me too. I'm the, it's, I'm I'm a little bit neurotic about it. It's a it's a problem. But uh, <laughs> man, look, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time for the example you have set and continue to set for your insight. Uh, it was f- so fulfilling for me to get this to spend this time with you, and thank you so much for joining the Marty Smith's America podcast, brother. My pleasure, my brother. Don't hesitate to reach out at any time. Just tremendous. Just. Just tremendous insight from Jalen. I appreciate his time so much. I appreciate his candor. And it's really interesting to me to learn that he and Jimmy King and Ray Jackson and Juwan Howard are now trying to reconcile with Chris Weber. I feel like that should happen. I feel like that those guys are a group that are a brotherhood in my mind that should remain a brotherhood forever. Because they changed the world. Uh, so I'm glad that they're doing that. I certainly hope that they're successful. And, again, thank you so much to Jalen for that time. You don't get that kind of time with guys like him. So that was a, it was really fulfilling for me. And good luck to Jalen, to Michelle Beadle, to Mike Greenberg on their new show, Get Up. Now, we're going to transition from Jalen's insight to some different insight any of us that have played T-ball, Little League, Pop Warner, maybe up through high school, you know that dad. You've seen that dad. Maybe your dad is that dad. I've never heard it described quite like my guy, Kevin, from Missouri. He called into the Marty and McGee program to tell us about his old man. Some of y'all going to be able to relate. Words, sayings, or just a way of life. Roman Candles? That's a redneck mortar launcher. That's what that is. <laughs> this is Hillbillyisms. Gentlemen, I got to tell you this. When I when I heard you guys talking about T-ball and cows, boy, I, I about flipped out because the last time I had called you all, it was a, um, it was a conversation about Kyrie Irving being shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. oh, yeah. He's back. That's right. And, uh, I grew up in Southern California, and um, and we used to have this team in, uh, in California, and then my dad was the coach. But my dad wasn't uh, what you would call um, very smooth around the edges at times. <laughs> right. and, uh, and every time, every time the old district would have the coaches' meeting, um, my dad had always been just accidentally left out. And so yeah. they always picked the teams. And my dad would get like the leftover 14 or 15 kids. Right. And then he would take that team and kick the crap out of everybody. And <laughs> our team was called the Desert City Concrete Conquerors. And we had no freaking clue why we were called the Desert City Concrete Conquerors. <laughs> We had no clue why we were playing the Elk Reds. We had no clue why we were playing um, Sebastian's uh, Mortar Mix, whatever it was. <laughs> All we knew was that we needed a bat in our hand and a glove yeah. and a baseball. Yeah. And our dad and my dad was going to be yelling at me in the plate. My yeah. dad was going to be my, guys. This is how it went. Okay, and I love my dad to death. God rest his soul. My dad got ejected from one of my little league. I knew this was games. coming. 
And your dad told that I, umpire to go to hell, didn't he? All the, <laughs> <laughs> my dad was ejected and they had to leave the premises, not just the game, but that's the rock whole and roll, bro. Facility. And my um and I went up to bat and the uh, and the umpire knew who my dad was. He's like, Hey, uh you okay about your dad leaving and I'm like, I'm it's just a normal day for me. And uh, and then I, you know I'm up to bat and uh, and I and I take a look at strike one, and my God, I heard a primal scream from center field. And what my dad did was he pulled his car around the parking lot over by center field, stood on top of the hood, and was coaching me. From- <laughs> screams from the hood of the nova center field kevin i feel you man my old man was that old man too i'm with you but i miss it i miss that that meant my daddy cared i guess um thank you guys so much for taking the time today to listen to the marty smith's america podcast please subscribe rate and review it matters it matters that you guys do that we appreciate your support so much And I appreciate the support of my producer, Travis Rockhold, Louise Cornetta. Thank you guys all so much for the hard work you do to make this podcast great. Thank you to Jalen Rose. Thank you to Matt Barry. And thank you, above all else, to all you guys listening, the Marty Smith's America podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts and ESPN. Subscribe, rate, and review. We'll chat with you next week.